Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, which means it is time for another episode of the About Tribute podcast. I'm your host, as always, that guy named John. And if this is your first time listening to the podcast, you can listen to it on iTunes, Stitcher, Blueberry, and on the website, abouttoreview.com. You can follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at about to review. Uh, that is a bunch of stuff up front for all those people who are new to the show. If you're returning to the show, you will recognize my guest for this episode, this guy named Steve. Hey, this is Steve, way over on the right side of your radio dial. <laughs> sure, on, on the podcast radio dial, which does not exist. I wonder if there will ever come a time when you can scroll through podcasts like you would with radio. Yeah. Like there would be like a, a we, yeah, as you go between podcasts, yeah, yeah. Well, on the iPhone, when the podcast app first came out, mm-hmm. it looked like a reel to reel player, really. And I'm guessing Steve Jobs uh fired somebody over that yeah, because he wanted to move away from that, yeah. So now mm. it's more modern, so nice. I doubt we'll ever go back to those times where it's uh radio esque, very true. Uh, but on this episode of the podcast. Uh, we're going to be talking about in our continuing coverage of the Seattle International Film Festival, also known as SIF. Uh, we're going to be talking about a couple SIF movies that uh, just recently made their run uh, at the Seattle International Film Festival here in town. So some of these are making the festival circuit. So if you have a film festival in your town, you might be able to catch some of these. So uh, those two films that we'll be covering for the film festival will be Finding Kukan and Time Trap. After that, we will go into a review of the movie that just came out this past weekend, Wonder Woman. So many movies, John. So many. Wonder Woman. Yeah. Uh, So, but first, right off the top of the bat, since this is the first episode of the new month, I'm going right into the new reviews that are on iTunes. Like I said, you can find the podcast on iTunes about to review. So there are three new reviews on iTunes. First one is from Caitlin M. And it says, great reviewer, five stars. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be interviewed by John during the Vancouver Web Fest this year. He asked me and my collaborators truly thoughtful questions, and his welcoming, good-humored vibe made it so easy to open up to him. I really appreciated his level of preparedness for our sit-down as well. It was clear he had done his research. Great dude, great podcast. I'd like to review that review. Mm-hmm. Good. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, so yeah, thank you, Caitlin, for that awesome review. Uh, next review is by Karmbot, friend of the family. Never heard of her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and it is called... I'm about to review, about to review. Clever, as always. Five stars. Cheers to about to review's 50th episode. Great show with interesting topics, a good humored host, that guy named John, Mm -hmm. and a variety of guests reviewing anything from movies to video games to food festivals. Always entertaining and accessible. Here's to 50 more. I love it. Food festivals. Yeah, so Dr. Andy and I covered uh, Veg Veg Fest. Fest, right. Uh, We spent a little bit of time on an episode... Fetch Fest, and it was it was pretty fun. It was just nice yeah. to do something a little bit different because yeah. I love food uh-huh. a lot. Sure, some would say I have an addiction. <laughs> I like to say I have an admiration okay. for food. Uh, and that that review is actually a little bit old because I realized I forgot to do the review section at the beginning of May. Ah, because this is now episode fifty eight. Congratulations! So, yeah, yeah, all right, okay. 
Uh, and the last review on iTunes is by D. Kotlin or Kotlin and says, so far, so good. Five stars. <laughs> which, which I kind of appreciate it. Uh, and the review says, these guys make it feel like you're listening to good friend give solid opinions and advice. There's a nice, relaxed vibe, and I really appreciate the local support along with the national film reviews. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to add a review for episode 59. It'll say fell off a cliff after this point. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I like the ominous nature of that. Like, so far, so, so good. good. <laughs> She's seven minutes into the first episode. Right. Yeah. Okay. So uh, thank you to everybody who left review. If you want to hear your review read aloud, head on over to iTunes. Uh, if you do not have an iTunes account or if you do not understand how iTunes cultivates their reviews because they make it really dumb. Yeah. Steve has heard me rant about iTunes yeah. since 2001. Yeah, yeah. It is 2017, and iTunes is still one of the worst programs. Yeah, it's bloated for sure. It just yeah. does not yeah. make sense. There are features that were in Media Player 4 from like 2003 yeah. that iTunes still does not have. Mm-hmm. I think when iTunes came out, it was much better than Windows Media Player, which was the PC alternative mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. time. Uh, but... It uh, has suffered from feature creep and yeah. hasn't really shaken off those early bonds. Yeah, for sure. Do you remember Winamp? Yeah, I liked Winamp. Winamp had so many skins mm-hmm. <laughs> for yeah. no reason whatsoever. <laughs> and every time you changed the skin, the buttons would be in a different order. Mm-hmm. That made things fun. What's your favorite visualizer? Ooh, uh, I, probably classic like Kaleidoscope. Okay. I think was one of them mm-hmm. or the. Uh, that, not the isotone scope. That would be weird. Um, the isometric one. Mm-hmm. I forget what it's called. But yeah. I like anything with colors and fireworks types effects. Yeah. 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 Psychedelic nice. stuff. Welcome to the Nostalgia Podcast yeah. where we talk about <laughs> old media players. Mm-hmm. Uh, Remember but as, Doom? I'm just kidding. Yeah, oh, <laughs> gosh. Uh, but uh, so like I was saying with iTunes, it does get a little bit confusing. I have had multiple people reach out to me and be like, I wanted to leave a review. How do I leave a review? Yeah. So if you do not want to do that through iTunes, you can go on Stitcher. Stitcher, you do not need to create an account or anything. You can leave an account or leave a review on there without an account. So highly recommend that. Uh, you can leave a comment on each episode on the website, aboutreview.com. A lot of those are in Russian and other languages, and I get so many comments that are just all spam. Hmm. So if you leave a nice review, I will make sure to notice it because it will not be spam. Mm-hmm. That makes it easy. Yeah. So, again, thank you to everybody who left a review. I will read the new reviews on the first episode of next month, which will be July. So, uh, moving right into our first SIF movie yes. of this episode, Time Trap. Yeah. Steve, set this one up. A group of college-age kids go Are they in... college-age? Uh, yeah, I think they're college-age. Or maybe just after college? I think... No, I... no, but they're in... John, you're, you're, right. you're, you're derailing me right off the bat. Continue. A group of college-age kids, by mm-hmm. my estimation, go into a cave to try and find the, their archaeology professor. Mm-hmm. So if they're looking for their archaeology professor, wouldn't it stand a reason that they're in college? You would think so. You think Fine. they look too old? Is that what you're saying? No, they look way too young. They like, look too young. A couple of them definitely look high school age, but... Yeah. I mean, I'm not it's sure. It's a difference of a year or two, right? I'm not sure I mean, what high school... whether they're 17 or 19. Oh, yeah. yeah. My high school had archaeology. 
Not really. Really? That was a lie. <laughs> I wish it did. Oh, okay. I might have actually passed that class. I had a tag class that had that. Really? Yeah. We, we, group, we divided up into two groups. And over the course of several weeks, we created cultures with our own language and money and everything. Hmm. And then we uh, fired in a kiln the money and the pottery and everything. And then we buried it. And then we switched. Then we had to dig up the other group stuff and piece hmm. together their culture from it. Yeah. Who knew, that, who knew that the wild suburbs of Portland were so <laughs> so ahead of the curve? Yeah, yeah, it was pretty awesome. That does sound pretty cool. So anyway, ahead. back to this uh, back to this movie, Time mm-hmm. Trap. They go into the cave and they discover that there is a time anomaly. Mm-hmm. Not a spoiler. It's called Time. Yeah, Trap. Yeah, no, it is called Time Trap. <laughs> that is valid. Yeah. And um, what else do you know about the background of this movie? Uh, it's it's a science fiction movie, obviously, mm-hmm. and uh, it's really solid. I mean, I would. I would call it a medium budget movie. I mean, it's yeah. definitely not a low budget movie because it looks so darn good and the acting is strong and the effects are good, but it's not a high budget movie either. Cause it's not backed by a major studio. It's a, it's a, um, an, on the high end of an indie budget, I would say. Yeah. And, um, we follow these kids as they go through the cave and try to figure out how to get out mm-hmm. and, uh, whether the professor is still down there. And um, how to come to grips with the reality that time is moving much slower for them. Mm -hmm. And it definitely, so when I was reading about this movie, so this is uh, directed uh, by Mark Dennis and Ben Foster. Not that Ben Foster uh, (laughs) that you see in other movies. He played Angel, 310 to Yuma. Okay. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I never saw Angel, but... um... Three hundred you, I know. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Mark Dennis and Ben Foster is written. Oh, by that it. angel, not Buffy Angel. Okay. There you go. Got it. Now I'm with you. Um, and it was written by Mark Dennis, also produced by Mark Dennis. So very, very involved from conception to reality. And it was originally conceived as like a found footage movie. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm kind of glad they did not Me too. go that route. Um, I think that was something that found footage is is tough to pull off, especially mm-hmm. in. You know, like like Steve said, in that mid-range budget. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad they decided to kind of go away from that. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was somewhat, um, hmm, how can I say, I was confused by by some of this. And that happens with time travel movies, sure. time travel shows. Yeah, you kind of just have to let it happen and go along with it. If you start trying to pick it apart. And start being like, but wait, if this happened then, and how did this correlate to that? Yeah. Just go with it. Um, and I've said that about a couple movies uh-huh. when it comes to Sif, because Sif really fosters that creativity. Right. And you get to see so many different types of movies mm-hmm. that you would not normally see. Mm-hmm. And so with with one of my uh, mottos or whatever with Sif is just going with an empty mind going with an just empty kidding. mind <laughs> go in, go no in. no i think we know what you mean you know going with mean. an open mind yeah because yeah you will see movies at sif like we talked about on the last episode a 65 dollar budget movie mm-hmm. from uganda mm-hmm. all the way to huge budget movies that have oscar winners in it yeah so you have such a wide range so i like that the festival you know helps people see these type of films for sure um, and let me just piggyback off that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, anytime you have a sci-fi movie, especially the ones involving time travel, like you said, or time manipulation, mm-hmm. uh, but also horror movies share that yeah. where uh, you 
want the characters to make human decisions, right? You want yeah. them to make the best decisions, but you have the benefit of being an observer of course. in the real world. <laughs> and uh, as with Alien Covenant, I said a few episodes ago, uh, people make mistakes, and that's mm-hmm. part of what makes it a compelling story. Um, but there definitely was a couple times in this movie where I said, no, why would you do that? That doesn't yeah. seem to make sense. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm willing to let it happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had a lot of questions with, with the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, originally, so it kind of starts off with this older professor going in search of this same cave. And then he, when he becomes lost, then his students go in search of him. Mm-hmm. I feel like there were a few things that were not really resolved when it came to the motivations of why the groups went there. And then when they get there, kind of what happens Mm -hmm. uh, within that context, but it was still done in an interesting way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, so that, that I can appreciate. Um, Yeah. It's not like they're going to a path and they end up at the wizard's castle. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, There were, there were some twists and turns that a hundred percent I did not see coming. Yeah. When yeah. I first, or when, yeah, as I was watching this and you first hear some sounds, you know, in the cave and you, and you start to kind of piece it together mm-hmm. in your head. And then it goes places that I, I thoroughly, thoroughly was not expecting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I like to be surprised by that. Yeah. Um. Whether, play- go ahead. Yeah. Whether or not, you know, it was, you know, maybe as successful or as, um, if it answered those questions that I had, yeah, you know, maybe not, but I was glad that it surprised me at least. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They play with some interesting ideas uh, about having this section of the earth that is moving slower than everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, as the name implies, people get trapped in it. Mm-hmm. And as you can imagine, if time outside this area is moving fast, they might be from many different eras. Yeah. Uh, and that's a pretty freaking cool idea. I mean, how do these people communicate? How do they interact? Mm-hmm. And um, they they definitely address that. Yeah, there in was a compelling a, way. Yeah, yeah. And the the group of kids, and this is another challenge. No matter what genre of film you are doing, when you have a group of teenage actors, you know, or child actors, whatever you want to define it as, every one of these movies has a chunk, you know, ha- has the kind of like the lovable doofus yeah. character in, you know, of course, and we are referencing Goonies, which I do not like to reference because as I've talked about on many episodes, not a fan of Goonies. Yeah. Come at me, haters. Anyway, uh, but in Stand By Me, you had yeah. Jerry O'Connell. And so with this film, pretty much right from the beginning, you get introduced to that character in this group. Mm-hmm. And that character, that archetype, I should say, can really kind of make or break um, that dynamic. And and I think it, it worked in this. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked the uh, actor. Yeah. Right? So you have the college age kids, then you had a couple 13 year old kids and this right. the, uh, chunk character mm-hmm. who in this one is named Furby. If I've mm-hmm. got it correctly. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah. He's a little bit of comic relief, mm-hmm. but I cut you off. What were you saying? About yeah. So that? I mean it, I liked that they, I liked the dynamic that they had because a lot of times that character, that archetype, is the only person who's like, wait, why are we doing this thing? Mm-hmm. And so they give that reality. They give you kind of that reality check of they might be doing 
quote unquote dumb stuff in the film, but at least one person is recognizing. Right. He's a little bit more scared than they are. He's trying to do reality checks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And um, just to go back to a little bit, the found footage aspect, mm-hmm. they didn't completely abandon that. There's GoPros True. in this movie and iPhones that help them unravel. Uh, they do spend a lot of time being confused about the time travel aspect. I mean, yeah. as soon as you see the sun going fast uh and and yeah you should be able to figure that out mm-hmm. but the cameras help them understand that that does get paid off a little bit later on when there's an extra layer to their understanding of their time paradox uh, as it were yeah mm-hmm. their time crisis ooh great game <laughs> easy <laughs> um anyway so they didn't completely abandon that and uh in some movies the found footage uh thing gets a little bit tired so i agree with you that i'm glad they mm-hmm. they uh, abandoned that and this movie also reminds me a bit of chronicle yeah i actually i wrote that down this was this is kind of one part chronicle one part cw drama and a mm. dash of project almanac kind of thrown in there i don't know project almanac what is it was that? under just a teen drama okay. sci-fi time travel mm-hmm. so I disagree with you on the CW drama aspect of it because I think it was well acted. I think all these kids could act and they didn't, uh, they didn't lay on the drama aspect of it too much. I mean, Mm -hmm. um, there is a relationship that goes on, but it's really lightly true touched on and a couple of people are related, but that's not what the movie's about and they don't get bogged down in that. And I think that's a good thing, but yeah. it reminds me of Chronicle and also uh, brick, which brick, of course was that? Uh, brick was a film noir mm-hmm. mystery set in a high school. I starring I Joseph Gordon Levitt, the director of which mm-hmm. went on to do uh, looper. One of my favorite oh. movies of that year. I love with Joseph Gordon Levitt. <laughs> and then he went on to do, Star Wars Episode Nine, really? Eight, I think eight and nine. Ryan Johnson. So, oh, okay. So, uh, imagine the folks who made this movie—not just the director, but also the cinematographer and the special mm-hmm. effects person. A movie like this, uh, although somewhat modest in its uh, um, budget, in given, and, yeah, yeah, exactly. The, the the talent is clearly there, uh, and I think this could launch them to. Um, bigger and more expansive movies for sure nice yeah cool uh so that was about it for for my notes uh for time trap and again if this is your first time listening to this episode uh anything that gets reviewed on this podcast called about to review gets a rating and that rating is patent pending trademarked copyright (laughs) copyrighted is it what you're the journalist what is it uh copyrighted copyrighted okay copyrighted uh you have three choices good bad or ugly the bell is not necessary for all of this (laughs) um yeah so good bad or ugly is the rating system for this podcast for everything for movies tv shows video games uh and yeah good film is something you would immediately recommend that you really really enjoyed a bad film does not necessarily mean that it was terrible. It was just not really something that you would immediately want to see again or immediately tell your friends about and say they have to go and see it. And an ugly, we all know what that means. A movie that just you feel like you wasted your time. You would never recommend it because you would not want your friends, relatives, countrymen, whoever, to waste their time. Mm-hmm. So of the ratings, good, bad, and ugly, 
what do you give Time Trap from Sith? Oh, and also because this is Sith, uh, this is from the USA. So yeah, I felt like I should put that out there because again, Sif has movies from 60 different countries. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but this is from the USA. Mm-hmm. Well, let me start by saying, if this is the first episode you've listened to, where the hell have you been? This is <laughs> right. really... This is episode 58. Yeah, come on. Uh, I think I've tipped my hand a little bit on this one. I really enjoyed it. Uh, as always, there are certain things that could be improved. I think the pacing could be improved a little bit. Mm-hmm. I was a little bit frustrated by them not understanding their situation for right. the longest time. Um, but again, I think it was well acted. The characters maybe were not very well distinguished from each other. Under- it, it, yep. was a, it all felt like they were written by the same person. Um, but uh, the special effects were amazing. The concepts mm-hmm. in it were good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're right. I, I do agree with you. And I hadn't thought of this before that it, it needs to be wrapped up a little bit better. Perhaps mm-hmm. um, they, find what they're looking for and then don't really do much with it. It's, um, it's an unattainable goal they discover. Um, and that's a little bit frustrating. I would mm-hmm. like to see a little bit more with that, but, uh, on the whole, I give it a good. Excellent. <laughs> uh, my official rating, um, like it, I mean, you know, like I said, I had more problems with those kind of unanswered questions. I had more problems with where it went. Um, and just kind of time and space and the decisions that were made. Uh, so, I mean, un- unfortunately, I- I'm going to give this a bad. Um, again, it was not it was not that it was you know terrible or anything. It just the the melodrama was, was a bit much for me. Um, and I, I just feel like, yeah, there were a few different times when they talk about the same thing and still trying to like, oh, but if this and this just like. The audience is way ahead of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's frustrating to watch people be so far behind you knowledge-wise. Yeah. Again, that gets resolved a little bit because they find an additional layer on mm-hmm. top of their thing, but uh, only slightly. Yeah. So, unfortunately, yeah, I, yeah, I give it a bad. Um, but, yeah, there were some really great parts. I think the way that they filmed this took a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Uh, the director of photography, like, whoever was helping them out a lot of this takes place in caves and whether they manufactured those caves or they shot in some sort of location, those are tough to do because you have Mm -hmm. to get creative. You have to realize, okay, if these are subterranean caves, how are we going to explain light? Mm -hmm. How are we going to explain all these things? So like you see kids, the kids with glow sticks Mm -hmm. and you see fire at some point. So they do clever things like that. And that again, that could make or break these kind of mid budget films. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I believe they were in a cave. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. They're, they're I forgot on... <laughs> that they possibly were on a on a studio set. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For so so that, was a, that was a big success yeah. uh, of the filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Cool. So that was Time Trap. Uh, the next movie is one that uh, Steve and I, again, both saw. Mm-hmm. It is Finding Kukan, uh, which is also from the USA. It is a documentary about a fascinating subject and a fascinating part of history that nobody knew about. Yeah. The, right. Yeah. What is the first Academy Award winner for documentary? 1941, mm-hmm. Kukan. I had never heard of this. And yeah. I love documentaries. And uh, so this documentary is about uh, a woman looking for the origins of this and mm-hmm. how much the uh, woman, the Chinese woman who had come to the United States 
and wanted to tell the story of Japan's attack on China mm-hmm. during World War II or prior to a yeah, lot of just, World just War right II. before just World War II. Yeah, so she wanted to uh, let the United States know what was happening: the rape mm-hmm. of Nanking, the bombing of Chongqing. I, I, I forget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but. Uh, hundreds of thousands of Chinese killed by mm-hmm. the Japanese juggernaut, as they were calling it. And uh, she um, befriended a photographer, a filmmaker, mm-hmm. and encouraged him to go over there and film and photograph all the stuff that was going on and bring it back. And um, they made this movie and it won the Academy Award. And then they couldn't find any copies of it. Yeah, which is crazy. So this <laughs> this film, uh, yeah, So the, and actually in doing my research, uh, it technically so it won an honorary Academy Award in 1941, oh. which is a certificate and not a statue. Were things different then, or I think so. Oh, okay, um, but I mean, it technically was the first documentary to, even if it wasn't the official category. Yeah, uh, in the film, I believe they say that it was the first documentary to win any Oscar. Uh, I believe that was the case as well. Uh, it says, "Sorry if we're getting um, that wrong," <laughs> but well, no, it, pretty it said, sure that's true. Yeah. Uh, so the director, Ray Scott, received an honorary Academy Award for Kukan. Uh, the award was presented as a certificate rather than a statuette, and it cited Scott. The reason that he won was for his extraordinary achievement in producing Kukan, uh, the film record of China's struggle, including its photography with a 16 millimeter camera under the most difficult and dangerous conditions. Mm-hmm. So he he won the honorary award for that. What was fascinating about this documentary and it touched on so many things that that we both really like, which is history. Mm-hmm. For me, it had a huge kind of genealogical component when they're talking to this woman and the the not even necessarily star, but the woman behind the story, the filmmaker of this documentary. I mean, she's recording her own journey to find right. how involved. Yeah, so that was really cool. Uh, Robin Lung is the is a director of this film and so it is she documents her process of finding out the most information about this film that just completely disappeared this award oscar award winning movie about a again a period of history that not many americans know about mm-hmm. that pre-world war ii and again like it was right before japan was just annihilating parts of china mm-hmm. and nobody really saw it americans did not really know about it even now, just it, it is something that does not really get talked about that much. Mm-hmm. So it's about Robin Lung's uh, pursuit and to find out all the information you can about this particular woman, Ling Ling Ai, or Gladys mm-hmm. uh, Ai, as she went by, who was kind of the driving force as to how this film got made. Mm-hmm. This film goes into a lot of different areas right. because you start off just like a, just like any good historical documentary. Yeah. It should take you those places when you first start and you're like, okay, it is about this woman. She's going to find this and then they're going to find this and then happy ending. Yay. A good documentary. It should lead you down like three different paths Mm -hmm. before you get to any sort of resolution. Right. Because if it is just a straight here to there, I find those documentaries boring. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. what were the paths on this one? I mean, obviously finding a print of the film. Yeah. Finding a print of the film, finding out how involved if she was truly involved, Ling Ling Ai. Yeah, because she's a bit film. of a, you know, there are a couple of people that are like, well, she talks a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was, she's definitely a spitfire. Yeah. And uh, in a 1940s Hollywood kind of way. Which I, they so they used some stock footage. Unfortunately, uh, Ling Ling Ai uh, passed away 
a few years ago, but they have an interview that she did from 1993 with New York magazine or yeah, with New York magazine that they kind of intercut, you know, a few different times within the movie, which gives you that backstory without that. I think the documentary would have been lacking for sure. Oh, for sure. Because thankfully someone interviewed her. Yeah. And I, I mean, from what I saw and what they talked about, that was, it looked like the only true interview of her talking about the process. Yeah. It was incredible. This woman, (laughs) I mean, again, she, she grew up, seeing some of these things she grew up from a a, a pretty well-to-do family mm-hmm. um and yeah steve nailed it with the spitfire one of the things that i wrote down when i was as i was watching it was she was just a brave no-nonsense pioneer mm-hmm. and was just fearless because she knew what was happening in china at the time and was and was determined to find a way to get that message out there right. how she did it and how involved she was with it is where the documentary is one of the paths that it goes. But yeah, seeing this over the top yeah. woman who is just like, no, I told them this yeah. and they did this. And then seeing the other people around her, some of her family members, some of the people that knew her, yeah, you get really different perspectives. And I, and I, I thought that was really well done. It's pretty clear that she didn't go over there at the time of the bombing and she wasn't there, but uh, they introduce a little bit of doubt because mm-hmm. I mean, she's a Chinese woman in the United States and um, she was ignored and mm-hmm. uh, interrelation, interracial relationships were illegal in some places. Yeah, you're absolutely right. In a lot of places in the country, these anti-miscegenation laws where, yeah, multi-ethnic people could not get married. And so there was that aspect of the story. That was another path that mm-hmm. this went down. How involved, you know, were they mm-hmm. as as a couple? Were they a couple? Did she have other boyfriends as as kind of one of the other people in the film uh, alludes to? And so I was really just I was captivated by the story because anytime you can see a part of American history and then global history that has been completely not completely undocumented, but just not talked about mm-hmm. so far as that this film that other path they could not find a full print mm-hmm. of this film and so they kind of find literally bits and pieces yeah. as the the actual like film they have has been eroding away um the national academy of uh arts and sciences like they get pieces the national of archive or whatever. yeah the national archive like mm-hmm. and so to, to show this story of how many people are involved just to like try and keep this print alive mm-hmm was fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the director does a good job of, of delving into all the surrounding issues. I mean, she does a good job of painting the picture of what the era was at the time, what mm-hmm. the thinking was, and uh, what a remarkable woman uh, Li Ling Ai was. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because the actual, the name of the film, the full name of the film from 1941 was Kukan, the Battle Cry of China, because Kukan is also a word that means a couple different things, and some of the people go into this in the film. It means bitterly persevering. Mm-hmm. That was one of those great moments in the film because it shows some pretty intense, some very intense imagery mm-hmm. of of war and of these small towns that were just getting annihilated. Yeah, and so bitterly persevering. There's a specific shot in in the film that was incredible that multiple people talk about. Word is of a of a person, I think a man, 
sitting on a sidewalk eating rice as a building behind him is just engulfed in yeah. flames. Yeah. And that itself, like so many people are like, that is Kukan. Mm-hmm. That is bitterly persevering. Where it is like the, like the world, like their world in this small, smallish town mm-hmm. is literally falling apart around them. I get, that was, that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the interesting thing also is that this filmmaker, it took her a while to kind of even learn about this story she then found out that she lived three blocks away from Ling Ling Ai mm-hmm. and had no idea mm-hmm. until after she had passed. So while going through all of these twists and turns, making this documentary and then being like, this person was right there. You think she would have seen her at the grocery store or the library? Even if, Yeah, even if she did, she might <laughs> not have known you know, what it, what the whole story was. Sure, yeah. So yeah. it was... It was incredible. Um, I, I was very impressed by this. Mm-hmm. Um, my official rating. I mean, like as before, we get into that. Oh yeah, can we mention the shadow? Uh, Im- oh yeah, yeah. I wrote so it's sort down. of interludes in mm-hmm. between sections of discovering more about Kukan. Uh, they had shadow puppets, but it wasn't mm-hmm. puppets. It was people dancing yeah. behind a um, what is that called? It's shadow puppetry, where yeah. they have a, a, a screen of paper and they project light from behind. And uh, a lot of silhouetted images. And that was, that was pretty nice. I like yeah, it was that. kind of like a, a loose you know, like animation style. But it was real people. Right. And just, yeah. And sometimes it was used to illustrate voiceovers mm-hmm. of letters from the time. Yeah. And discussions and newspaper articles and stuff. Yeah, I thought that was, that was pretty nice. You've got to have that. Because otherwise, this film is a woman going through boxes of photos and letters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and along with some interviews and some, you know, other supporting documents. But yeah, yeah. Uh, that was a good way to portray uh, something that might be a little dry in some places. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the, the research angle, the, the genealogy angle of this, like, you know, she interviews some of Ling Ling Ai's surviving family members, be it great nieces and nieces. And it just, the way that they talk about Ling Ling Ai and it just, it was really cool. So it just, it searched for the truth in multiple different ways, which a good documentary should do. Mm-hmm. So my official rating for Finding Kukan is good. Really enjoyed this documentary. Um, I, I encourage people to try and find this. Uh, they, they're still trying <laughs> to this day to, to create a full print uh, of this film. From the original film, Kukan, the Battle Cry of China from 1941. So it just, yeah, it, it is an incredible piece of history that hopefully more people get the chance to see. Mm-hmm. I also give it a good. Mm-hmm. I think this is an important film to be made and important for people to watch. And uh, I love hearing about uh, old timey, for lack of a better word, <laughs> old timey spitfires. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, not just for the entertainment value, but uh, to show the moxie. That's a good word for it. Mm-hmm. The moxie of certain people to, by God, get things done. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, very well done. So, uh, yeah, Robin Lung directed that, Finding Kukan. Uh, now, now that we have gone through some pseudo-independent uh, movies as part of the Seattle International Film Festival, now we're going into the furthest thing from an independent movie, mm. which is Wonder, Wonder Woman, Woman. <laughs> uh, which is the new film in theaters now. Before we get into the movie, a little bit of history. History lesson music. Wow. Terrible. So for those of you who 
you know, do not really know Wonder Woman's history that much and you were just excited to see Wonder Woman, that is awesome. For those of you wanting a little bit more history, <laughs> here yeah. it is. There's a reason that there's a fast forward button on your thing. <laughs> Rude. <laughs> uh, no, it's fine. No, because I'm interested because, uh, as I said before, I have, haven't read a lot of comics in my life. Mm-hmm. I know about Wonder Woman roughly from Saturday morning cartoons, the Justice mm-hmm. League, and so forth. But uh, prior <laughs> prior to watching this movie, I had forgotten what her powers and what her origin story was. And I, I mm-hmm. as I try to do, I didn't watch any trailers. I saw one or two, you know. Right. But, uh, I didn't really want to know. I wanted to be swept away like mm-hmm. a newborn babe. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Wonder Woman uh, was created by Dr. William Moulton Morris. Uh, and debuted uh, December 1941. And what is fascinating about Dr. William Moulton Morris, uh, or Professor, uh, prof- yeah, I think it was, yeah, Dr. William Marston. Um, so this is one of the creators of an early version of the polygraph, of the lie detector. Which is interesting because what is one of the things that Wonder Woman has that everybody knows of? The lasso of truth. Exactly. So he was one of the inventors of of the polygraph. So that was an interesting uh, thing that he decided to to give her. And she has gone through a bunch of changes from 1941 until now. But one of the things that they leaned on heavily in in those early comics was they really played into the bondage aspect, the submission aspect. The wrestling aspect. There were many panels of Amazonian women throwing each other around and getting each other in odd positions. This is in the 40s. This is in the 40s. Wow. Well, I uh, guess these... they didn't have a lot else to go on. Yeah. Well, and these were like these were on the cover. Yeah. Wonder Woman was frequently bound to either a missile, a rocket, yeah. a ship, and so she was tight. She was always in weird positions, which a lot of people would view as this is so misogynistic. Blah blah. Women hate her. In actuality, <laughs> the creator, Dr. Marston, loved to be tied up. Uh-huh. Uh, there is a fascinating, fascinating movie that is going to be coming out this year. I hope it is coming out this year. They, The updates on it are pretty sparse, but it is called Professor Marston and the Wonder Women. Yeah. And it talks about his life, which is a fascinating story. Uh, the loose, loose framework is Dr. Marston, this is, again, in the early 40s and late 30s, he was in a polyamorous relationship with his wife, Elizabeth, and another woman, uh, Olive Byrne. He, he was in a relationship with Olive with both and, of them. Them, yep. and they were not in a relationship with each other. No, all three of them okay. were in a relationship oh, with each other. Got it. So, and he, yeah, like, I mean, he talks a lot in some of his writing about the the joys of submission and how you can only really know yourself whilst being tied up and all these things and so that was reflected in his work and unfortunately a lot of people just saw it as oh woman is tied up great there was a lot of him in there there was a lot of that in there and after he passed away those two women continued to raise their children together they stayed in a relationship until their death. So they're coming out with this movie, Professor Marston, the Wonder Woman, Wonder Women, talking about this story, which again, like we talked about with Finding Kukan, these little things, these little parts of American history that most people do not know about are fascinating. Mm-hmm. 
So currently in, in the cast, I mean, Luke Evans is going to be playing uh, Dr. Marston, which is going to be great because Luke Evans is a great actor and he is coming off of some good stuff with Beauty and the Beast. So whenever this comes out, I, I'm very excited to see this. And yes, it will be fictionalized. So I'm wondering how they're going to handle it. Like the Kinsey movie. Did you see that with mm-hmm. Liam Neeson? No, I didn't see that one. So Kinsey, I mean, it was it was good. It was just because it was fictionalized, they took some interesting creative license with it. I hope they really go into his uh, his mindset uh, into this. So anyway, so those old comics in the 40s, Wonder Woman is frequently on the cover in various predicaments. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think it's important to be um, vigilant about misogyny, racism, that kind of thing. But uh, sometimes there's more to the story as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I mean, people are complicated Rest. and mm-hmm. times change. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important that we don't give especially internet reactionary uh, people uh, clicks <laughs> and attention. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. And I, I don't think we need to go into the whole pseudo, just like with Ghostbusters. It's uh, so this these pseudo, I, um, <laughs> what do you call it, uh, outrage about the mm-hmm. women's only screening and stuff like that. We got to just ignore those people yeah. and just let it go away because, okay, I've totally derailed the podcast No, no, it, now, it actually... Do you see what I'm saying? Like, it, it is worth mentioning because this movie, Wonder Woman, this is the first major cinematic movie to come out since there was a pilot movie made in 1974. Mm-hmm. So DC Animated has done some incredible work. I, I mean, I... Every DC animated film that has come out in the past 15 years Mm -hmm. has been incredible. So they did a Wonder Woman movie. They've done Justice League War. And I've actually seen a bunch of those, mostly Batman ones. And Wonder Woman features prominently in almost all of them. But this movie with with Gal Gadot, like she and this movie and Patty Jenkins, they were up against it from, from this whole time. Because making a movie like this, they knew that was going to happen. Yeah. They knew that with, no matter who was directing it, but you add in a Wonder Woman movie directed by a woman, suddenly people are outraged. So it it deserves talking about only in the sense of people need to get over it because it is one of those things where when the, when the reaction, and of course if you are listening to this and you have not heard of the controversy, Alamo Drafthouse, a great theater company. Wait, now we're giving them attention. We're giving those stupid because internet. I, I think it is. Okay, okay. I think the controversy. So they're doing, or they were doing, it was over the weekend, uh, a woman-only screening of Wonder Woman, which is awesome. And that that is totally great. And a bunch of people were just all outraged. And they're like, are you going to do men-only screenings of Iron Man? No, because that is a dumb idea. So they're celebrating women. They're not trying to exclude men. (laughs) It was just, it was ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. So, but I think you're right that they were really up against it. And I want to get back to the history of Wonder Woman mm -hmm. because I really don't know much of, I don't really know much about it um, Mm -hmm. beyond what you've just told me. Um, But there have been a lot of really uh, underwhelming DC movies, not counting Batman, Mm -hmm. but uh, the Superman movies and Batman versus Superman. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting. I wonder if it's just a completely different section of DC uh, or or Warner Brothers. It's Warner Brothers, mm-hmm. right? Warner Brothers. That's producing the TV shows because Supergirl 
I like quite a bit. Man. I haven't seen all of it, but and sometimes it gets a little too soap opera for mm-hmm. me personally. But I don't think I'm. In, I don't think I'm the main intended audience. But M- Melissa Buenoist, mm-hmm. sure, yeah, close, close enough. enough. <laughs> She's really perfect in that. Yeah. And by the way, Gal Gadot is perfect as uh, Wonder Woman. Yeah. From a layman's perspective. Mm-hmm. But anyway, a lot of bad movies going into this, and I think you're right that they were really up against it. And uh, I was worried for this movie. You mm-hmm. were worried. Oh, for this I was movie. very, very worried. That guy named Tim was worried for this movie. <laughs> People's critic. Yeah. No, that's the one. Sorry, <laughs> right. yeah. Doctor Andy, he doesn't listen, so I don't know how he yep. felt. But <laughs> no. Okay, sorry. So back to the back to the yeah. This was a monumental task that mm-hmm. they had to overcome. Yeah, because even when she appeared in Batman versus Superman, and I said it back then, this is way back on like episode two, I want to say, she stole the show from that movie. Mm -hmm. That movie was kind of a dumpster fire, Mm -hmm. but she stole the show. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She was just, she was really solid in that movie. Mm -hmm. So with this, I mean, they have been doing Wonder Woman shows since 1974. That was the first pilot. 1975 was, of course, the one that, Almost everybody knows. Linda Carter. Linda Carter. Okay. Um, and so that really rocketed her into the the public eye. And that show was incredibly successful back then. I mean, back then you also had the Incredible Hulk TV show a little bit later. Uh, I mean, it was, it was this huge resurgence into this character. Yeah. And uh, what was her original history? I know she was fighting Nazis in the mm-hmm. 1940s comics. Um was her origin story what was her origin story so her origin originally? story originally <laughs> her original origin story yes um they talk about it in the movie they 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 do it mostly correct but they also did the kind of the new version so her original but that's story, okay right yeah, i mean totally fine. comic books readapt themselves and oh retell it all, all the, the time. time and miles morales and yeah mm-hmm. so the original origin story um she was made out of clay and then she was given life. Pygmalion. Uh, oh, okay, there you go. go yeah. She was given life by her mother, Hippolyta. Okay. Uh, but she was formed out of clay in the, in the very beginning. As a child or as an adult? No, no. Like from clay and then blown into life. There were like a three panels in this okay. comic strip or comic strip comic book from like 1942. Mm-hmm. where they kind of went into that. Where it was like three panels. You see Hippolyta gathering sand. You see a little uh, clay figure. And then the next panel, you see like this child jumping. Mm, okay. So that that was it. That was the origin story. Yeah. In in kind of the new fifty two version, and in the rebirth uh, comics of the current time, they have twisted that a little bit, which is much more similar to what they did in the movie, mm-hmm. where that is what she believes is that she was formed out of clay and all of this. Uh, I will not go into you know, more of it, but they do talk about it within the film and it reflects the current comic storyline. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, the clay was, was from the beginning. Okay. Can we do a quick thumbs up? No, we don't do thumbs up, thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> but, but do you agree with me though that the TV series, or is it Supergirl, like mm-hmm. or not? So all of the, Roughly, C- just... all of the CW shows. Okay. The Flash. The Flash, uh, Arrow, Legends of Tomorrow, Supergirl. There are four of them. Okay. Got it. Every time I watch those, Legends of Tomorrow. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Every time I watch those, I'm smiling from ear to ear because it is, it lights my geek heart on fire. Okay. Those shows are incredible. Okay. Um, what makes them successful to you? There was actually Mark Berlanti, so one of the creators of all of those shows. They call it the Berlanti verse. Uh, he talks about heart, 
humor, and spectacle. Mm -hmm. All of their shows have heart, humor, and spectacle. Sometimes the heart gets kind of, you know, pushed a little bit and it does a little melodrama. Mm -hmm. I love those shows. Mm -hmm. Every episode, yeah, it gets cheesy. But every episode of almost all of those shows, Arrow is the only one that gets a little bit much. They kind of rehash the same thing over and over again. Oh, okay. Um, but that was the first. Without Arrow, we would not have any of these. Mm -hmm. But they just, they make me happy. Mm -hmm. And on season two of Supergirl, uh, are you caught up? Do you watch it? No. Okay. Well, uh, no, I'm not caught up. Okay. So in one um, episode yeah. of season two, uh, Linda Carter plays the president of the United States. Ah, uh, okay. Uh-huh. Which is awesome. Yeah. And there's a scene in that episode where uh, Melissa Benoist catches on fire mm -hmm. and she stands up, puts her arms out to the side or arms outstretched and spins around to take it out. Oh, okay. Which is just like in Wonder Woman, oh. how she used to transform. Little things like that. Nah. All of these shows get it. Okay. There's a moment like that in almost every episode of these shows that for someone like me, it just it just it makes me happy. They're winking a little bit at their fans. Hundred uh, percent. How about the Flash? The Flash is fantastic. Really good. Okay. Yeah. And the cartoons. Uh, I mean, yeah, Justice League, Justice League Unlimited. Would you say they also have heart spectacle and heart humor and spectacle? Humor uh, yeah. sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but they're just really well made. Yeah, incredibly well. And made. what about the movies? What's wrong with the movies? That is the the weird thing. That divide between the animated movies are fantastic. The TV shows are fantastic. What is happening with these movies? Are like, they trying to be Marvel? I think so. I think they still feel like they need to play catch up. Just make good movies. Are they trying to be uh, 007, how they made it super realistic or not super realistic, but they right. brought it back down to earth? Yeah. You know, what do they call it? The gritification yeah. <laughs> that's happened since. I honestly do not know because is it the Zack Snyder wasn't Zack Snyder involved yeah, with all the DCs I, I, and... I unfortunately blame Zack Snyder for quite a, quite a lot of it they really gave him a lot of power right a lot yeah. of okay yeah okay. so with this movie it already had the live action DC movies to go up against which have not been that well received as much as of everything else especially with the last one Suicide Squad which yes I know it won an Oscar Ugh. That still, that still just hurts me. I missed Oscar, my chance to hit the bell. Oscar, I gotta clear my Oscar winning Suicide Squad. There we just, go. Oh, man. <laughs> okay, putting Batman aside, mm -hmm. what is your favorite post-2000 DC movie? Live action? Yeah. Or cause... No, no, live action. We've already established the TV shows are good, the cartoons are good. Uh, list them off for me we got suicides uh, oscar winning mm -hmm. suicide squad yeah we got man of steel mm -hmm. and then the man of steel returns right wasn't there a second uh superman movie Super, yeah. well there, there was superman returns. There was superman returns which was brandon routh mm -hmm. um and we then you had green lantern yeah <laughs> we sure did i love getting the patented john groan <laughs> we sure did so okay so well, wait, when you say post 2000 yeah Keep in mind, Batman Begins came out in 2005. So are we not counting those movies? Like, was there something prior to Batman? No, no, Batman aside. I mean, we, oh, all, okay. we all agree that Batman is high quality. Everybody loves it. It made a million dollars. Okay. I'm asking, besides that one and besides this one, what's your favorite DC movie? Or can you just, they're just all trash. They all have a lot you of problems. You love Superman, though. Man, Man, Man of, of Steel, Steel they had, had no redeeming qualities. They actually redid uh, Richard Donner stuff to some degree. Right? They did. Man of Steel, it still made me happy. I still got that emotional uh, high from it. 
but then it just crushed my spirit in so many different ways. Okay. Um, Jonah Hex uh, was a live-action DC movie that was absolutely terrible. Uh, v for Vendetta technically was a DC movie, so... Penalty box. I mean, it... <laughs> Okay. But yeah, you're the, really been. I, I'm talking about the core stuff, but anyway, okay. Yeah, okay. The, the core stuff. It is. It is rough because it is. Yeah, Superman Returns, Green Lantern, Man of Steel. Not funny. Not touching. How about the action in those? Uh, Man of Steel had some fantastic action, like uh, in uh, when they're doing like the small town fight sequences. Mm-hmm. Those were great because mm-hmm. Superman was just getting beat up because it was his second day on the job with all these powers, and he was going up against military trained fighters um i like his encounter with zod and the gang yeah yeah so uh, live action and it's a green lantern i've gone on record before (laughs) that is not ryan reynolds fault oh yeah it it is not yeah uh they tried to do way too much in that movie yeah so we will see and am i forgetting anybody they didn't do a Flash movie. They didn't do a Martian nope. Manhunter movie. Watchmen was also technically a DC okay. movie. I like Watchmen. Now, I, I've I've never read the graphic novel. Sorry. <sighs> Foolish. But I really like that. I really like that movie. Mm, technically, yeah. it was a comic series. It was a Maxis series, not a graphic okay. novel. It was go. later compiled into a trade paperback. <laughs> I'm going to hit this bell. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So, right. DC has, has had a rough go yeah. of these live action films. So, they were up against it with that. They were up against it with the with the character, with the director, so, so we should probably actually get into this movie. We, we should probably get into this movie now. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Uh, Sorry. So this movie is it takes the rough storyline of a lot of the New Fifty Two and Rebirth storyline. Where what's the New Fifty Two again? New Fifty Two is, is one of DC's relaunch events, like Crisis they on Infinite Earths. Restarted everything, pretty much okay. for the one, two, three, four, seventh time. Did they kill everyone um, off and bring them back? A lot of people. Just, oh, really? Oh, oh okay. a, a lot of people because they knew those issues would sell. Okay, it, it. yeah, it happens. It happens a lot. Um, so. This movie takes that storyline, the rough storyline, where Wonder Woman is going up against Ares. You can see a lot of this in the trailers. And one of my problems with a lot of modern trailers, they give you almost too much. Uh, but you can get the rough storyline from the trailer. Yeah, that's why I don't watch trailers. Yeah. Uh, World War One time setting, which is different than her, her origin, which was World War II. I'm not quite sure. Sh- I'm still not quite sure why they bumped it back just that little bit more mm-hmm. to World War One. Maybe... To avoid her punching Hitler like she used to do back in the day, like every comic book character used to do back in the day, whether it was Captain America, Human Torch, like I, I still not sure why they avoided the Nazis and because in this one, obviously the enemies are the Germans is World War One. Yeah, I have a couple ideas. On okay, that. yeah, go for it. <laughs> the, you say go good. for it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That mm-hmm. was the subtext there, Mister Comic Book Encyclopedia. <laughs> <clears throat> Well, I think part of it is the no, killing the Nazis has been done to death. Yeah. Uh, they've just ger- done so many of them. Yeah. I didn't. <laughs> They're still killing Germans. Yeah, that's true. But technically, um, killing Germans. Yeah. 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 Uh, a lot of them don't have any blood coming out of them. Yeah. But, imagine that. <laughs> it's interesting. They even so. They, uh, <laughs> they got to keep that rating because they got to sell some tickets to yeah. the ladies. Yeah. That's what, fine. I did. That didn't bother me. It's fine. What that? What I? What I thought was interesting because Batman vs Superman took a lot of heat for that. Batman is a murderer in these films. <laughs> Straight up murdering people. Right. In this one, in one of the scenes that you see part of in the trailer where Chris Pine as Steve Trevor is flying away from this warehouse and he he drops a bomb, literally. He has it in his hand and he drops a bomb, mm-hmm. which is dumb. 
into this warehouse that was previously occupied. Not a soul in sight in this warehouse. Oh, yeah. Huge explosion. Yeah. And so they, they kind they of... got to keep it, yeah. They pushed a little bit too far to be like, nobody was hurt in this giant explosion. Yeah. I, they may be reacting to the fact that Superman destroyed uh, the city. Metropolis. Metropolis, thank you. It was yeah, his first I, day on the it, job. <laughs> I hate it when people... <laughs> Uh, but that was a complaint that a lot of people of had course. that he just had all this collateral damage. A lot of dumb people had that complaint. Yeah. Okay. So getting back to <laughs> why they moved it to World War One, mm-hmm. uh, I read an interview or an article that quoted at least uh, Patty Jenkins, the director. Mm-hmm. And she said that there's a lot of parallels between the way we do war now and the way they did war in uh, World War One, hmm. where they have trenches oh, yeah. and you don't really see the enemy a lot of times. You're throwing grenades oh, and you're mortar gassing, shells and... and there's she says, I'm excited to do this because there's parallels between that and someone sitting in a trailer in Nevada drone bombing Syria. Interesting. I mean, that's not a direct quote, but that's, yeah. a, that's a paraphrase of what she said. And that also leads nicely into the themes of this movie mm-hmm. surrounding war, really. Right. Because Wonder Woman has been on this island for all of her life. That and hasn't said, hasn't seen any uh, war mm-hmm. throughout her whole life, but she's been training to fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's been told that Ares is the god of war. And if she kills this man, then everything will be at peace. So when she stumbles into the real world mm-hmm. or rather when the real world stumbles into her <laughs> there you go yeah uh and she's brought in by chris pine um she is brought into this warscape so mm-hmm. and she says all right now now i know the mission of my life which is to go and kill this head of uh the it wouldn't be the third reich it would be the kaiser yeah you know to, to kill the people at the head of world war one mm-hmm. and on the on the enemy side and uh she suddenly has purpose but mm-hmm. she starts to understand that the nature of war is more complicated than she thought it's not yep. just about going and killing the one guy going in one path and killing this guy but she has to go through lots of different steps in this new world and that uh there's good and bad on both sides and i i really uh liked the conclusions she came to and i thought it was uh well done how she uh, came to understand these uh realities of humanity and and it wasn't anything groundbreaking i didn't say oh my gosh she's right humans are complicated but at the same time i thought it was uh pretty well um Pretty nuanced, not nuanced. What's the right word? Multifaceted. Yeah. It was multifaceted for this kind of a movie. Well, I think the other interesting angle that this movie has is Gal Gadot, who plays Wonder Woman, was a soldier. Oh. So she was an Israeli soldier, mm-hmm. like all of them have to do. Right. It's for, compulsory. It, yeah. So you turn 18, year, you, yeah. you two years. Um, so she did, she did her time in the military. So that brings another interesting element into this film and when speaking of the film and when speaking of you know like you mentioned the mascara you know paradise island it's called mascara the mascara like, oh okay Sheesh. i don't know these things <laughs> uh the mascara it was originally called okay. paradise island oh okay uh, george perez one of my favorite wonder woman artists one of the kind of quintessential wonder woman artists during his run in the 80s he renamed it the mascara okay um yeah, Paradise Island. Patty Jenkins, please give her more movies. 
please have her direct everything. This movie, like the scenes that yeah. were shot, wherever it was on location, mm-hmm. were incredible. I was going to say, she hasn't done a ton before this. I yeah. mean, she did Monster. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, that, that won a bunch of awards. Rest of Development, Honorage, The Killing, Betrayal, Exposed, which is a TV movie. Uh, yeah, I mean, Monster. And that was 15 years ago. Yeah. So years ago. I, I want to see everything she does. Yeah. Um, her cinematography was great. Uh, one of the, one of the things that I, I loved about this movie, I had some problems with it, which we'll get into. One of the things that I absolutely loved this movie shows and please filmmakers take note, whether it is Marvel movies, DC movies, any movie, this movie shows how to portray diversity. Just show powerful diversity and respectful diversity you do not need to explain a bunch of stuff you don't need to point at it either no just give people their own agency and like and it will work out like the the diversity on Themyscira which for a lot of Wonder Woman's history and keep in mind this was 40s and and on it was just all white ladies Mm -hmm. on all these Amazonian women uh, Wonder Woman does have a twin sister called Nubia, which mm. was a product of the times, who was just ebony. Th- th- again, problematic in a lot of different ways. But the diversity that you see within this island of Amazonians was phenomenal. You see women of different shapes, and not only the women of, of Themyscira, throughout the entire movie. Mm-hmm. You see men and women of different shapes, different sizes, different colors, different ethnicities. Mm-hmm. Like, without having to point everything out, the only one that, and the way that they do kind of point it out in a couple ways, um, the character called The Chief, which, again, could kind of ride that line, but it was played by Eugene Braverock, who is a Blackfoot Indian, uh. and it was not, he was not the stereotypical, you know, how, and all, like, they went through, like, he is a character with his own agency, he has not chosen a side, Yeah, he is doing a job. He actually speaks... Um, a line or two in a native dialect of of the Blackfeet Indians or Blackfoot Indians and like little things like that. And at one point, again, when Diana, uh, Diana Prince, as she gets Wonder her name, uh, Wonder Woman, when at one point the two of them are talking, uh, her and uh, the chief, and she was like, when she was learning about war, she was like, well, what happened to, to your people? And he was like, this guy happened. And he points to Steve Trevor, played by Chris Pine. Moments like well, that. Well, he said his people. Yeah. His people, yeah. Moments like that where it recognizes those moments, but it, it does not have to dwell on it. It does not have to, like, point things out. I think um, what they're doing there is fleshing out the uh, complicated problem of history and war. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, it, Samir. Yeah. Samir's another person. Now, I was going to ask, though, mm-hmm. this uh, group group of mm-hmm. miscreants, including a Scottish guy as well, mm-hmm. uh, was that group in any of the earlier comics? Were yes they and part no. Of it? Okay. Um, so they roughly resemble a group called the Blackhawks. It reminds me um, a little of Captain America's gang. Yeah, very similar. What were they called? The Howling Commandos. Oh, that's a good name. Yeah. Uh, so the, yeah. Um, so they, they resemble characters from that. They might not be as obvious, you know, as some of the other ones. Uh, but Samir, the character in the movie, is played by Saeed. 
oh boy, uh, Taj Maui, Maui, I butchered that. Um, but he is tremendous in this movie. Uh, they have their Scottish character, uh, played by Ewan Bremner called Charlie. And so they have a very diverse cast in this kind of Blackhawks group. They have this very diverse cast of Amazonians without it feeling like they were just putting it in there to be diverse. Yeah. And they're also um, not perfect people any, right. as well. They're they're multidimensional, Flawed. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the shooter can't shoot. The actor, he's mm-hmm. actually he's actually pretty good at acting. Yeah, really good, yeah. <laughs> Samir. And uh, Proudfoot, is that what they called him? Uh, the Chief. The Chief, right. Yeah. The Chief. Um, he was a Blackfoot Indian. Yeah, so. yeah. I, I would like to see a little more from him. I think he was kind mm-hmm. of the weakest actor in the whole thing, but hey, you know. Probably doesn't get a lot of roles, but he was also not. I mean, yeah, as as far as the other ones, like they focused on all of those members of the team, you know, brief amount of time because it is not about them. It it is about Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman, yeah. But they did it enough that they felt like real people and not just, like you said, diversity cardboard cutouts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even with the Amazonians, uh, Robin Wright, my crush on Robin Wright started with Princess Bride. Oh yeah, back in the day. Robin Wright has been reinvigorated as one of my crushes in the past, I would say, what, three years, five years with uh, with her new show, which is uh, not The Killing. That is, uh, what is her new show? Uh, if you love it so much, you should know the name of well, it. Well, I've not watched it, but she, <laughs> she is incredible in it from what I heard. Um, Robin Wright at the Congress. That was a movie. Um, do, 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 do. House of Cards. Oh, right. That show. Claire Underwood. <laughs> Um, so she, in this movie, uh, she plays Wonder Woman's uh, aunt, uh, played, or her name is Antiope, or Antiope. She is amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, the, what they were able to do with all of these women, all these Amazonians, we've talked about it before, they were believable. Mm-hmm. Like, these characters, they were not like the the cast of 300, which they worked out like madmen mm-hmm. for a lot of it. But they also used a lot of spray tan, a lot of everything like that. All of the women on this island, I believed, were these incredible warriors. Mm-hmm. Even so, Artemis, uh, who does a lot of the training, is played by Anna Wolf, who is an eight-time box, eight-time championship boxer. Mm-hmm. She was this giant, powerful woman. Mm-hmm. That is what we need to see more of. Mm-hmm. And so it was incredible, and it was believable. and not bodybuilders, athletes. Yeah, yeah, and it was it was just believable. That leads me to one of my biggest problems. This had some of the worst CGI I have seen in years. What? Years. What are you talking about? In one of the main battle scenes that you see in part of the trailer where they are on the beach, uh-huh. there's some tremendous hand-to-hand fighting. Yeah. There are a few scenes, one of which has a character. Not a, not really a spoiler. I think she's in the trailer, but Hippolyta. Just, Just go for it. Uh, Hippolyta kind of jumps off of a horse and does this spin attack. Mm-hmm. It looks awful. It looks like Matrix 2 when Neo was fighting a bunch of the Agent Smiths Hmm. when like CGI was just kind of becoming a thing. Mm -hmm. It was terrible. And it completely took me out of this amazing, powerful uh, action scene. Mm -hmm. Seeing that moment, it was just jarring. I had a moment like that in a Lord of the Rings movie where the the gravity was completely off 
for mounting a horse. The horse was running and he grabs it and it was he, just way too smooth. He and... seems to yeah, fly up and I mean he didn't have any flying powers. Right. So in this in this movie, more than I would honestly more than like three or four times, the CGI was was really, really bad. I don't uh, totally. I do not totally agree with you. Oh. Honestly, I think uh, it was really. And the the slow mo, the three hundred style slow mo, like mm-hmm. like our hate Zack Snyder. Yeah. Those moments of her sliding across the floor mm-hmm. and the incredible Deflecting battle bullets, scenes. Like yeah, yeah. it's a slow mo. I call it three hundred style. I don't know yeah, what uh, what someone else might call it, but I find those still really effective mm-hmm. um, battle scenes. I enjoyed that, yeah. and the CGI. Uh, I didn't. It didn't bother me. But but uh, everybody has their things. One of my things is that sometimes characters act in a psychic way where mm. they don't. There's no way they could possibly know that someone's behind them. Yeah, uh, and they throw a knife and it there were perfectly few of those. goes behind there. Yeah, and you know a gun gets shot just blindly and hits the guy. You know, mm-hmm. uh, unless they're given psychic powers by yeah. Zeus. They shouldn't have the psychic powers, but um, that didn't happen a ton in this one, a little bit here and there. But I mean, they're highly trained fighters. Maybe they hear the footsteps, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. 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 But that first whole half hour of her on the island, that was gorgeous. And yeah. everybody was gorgeous. And yeah, really I, I, a great way to start this movie. I wish that they had spent more time there, more time at Themyscira. Because again, going into my negatives, this did the same thing. That Batman versus Superman did. Same thing that Man of Steel did. DC movies. If you are listening, which I hope you are not because I trash all of your movies. Um, <laughs> if you are listening or if anybody connected with those movies is listening, stop doing fight sequences at night surrounded by fire. It is stop doing dumb. Okay. Because, like, and they keep doing this. Like You have these incredible set pieces when they were in the mascara. Then you go into these climactic battle scenes in the second and third act at night in the dark with fire all around them. And it just becomes a mess. Hmm. One of the things that Civil War, to this day, one of the best comic book movie moments is the airport fight scene. And it is in broad daylight. Mm -hmm. It gives you the chance to show off all the work you put into the choreography, the CGI, the costuming, everything. Mm Mm-hmm. This is now the third movie where we have this dark and gritty fight sequence, this climactic fight sequence that is just muddy. Mm-hmm. And it just it feels emotionless in this climactic battle because I want more out of it. I want to be able to physically or visually see more of it. And I just I do not know why they keep making that choice. Because Dark Knight did so well, probably. I mean, they're trying to recreate the Batman aesthetic that made them gajillion dollars in these other movies where it doesn't really fit. I mean, from what I understand of Superman, he shouldn't be taken down those dark paths. And uh, Wonder Woman should uh, should not take place in the in the dark. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you're right. Yeah, it just it I just I, I struggle with that because it feels like Patty Jenkins did three quarters of the movie and then the studio told her how to do the climactic fight scene because then they were like okay it needs to look like these things yeah that's possible when you look at the stuff on themiscare when you look at the stuff in the second act and then you look at the third act it just it looks so much different and i am not sure why Mm -hmm. so how do you think chris pine did 
Chris Pine is good. I, I like Chris Pine quite a bit. Did you see all the Star Trek? Trek. Come on now. Yep. Did you see all the Star Trek movies? <laughs> of course. Okay. Um, I like Chris Pine quite a bit. Uh, his timing is really good. The chemistry between the two of them, it, it, it was it was funny, but I did not really feel a lot of romance uh-huh. or maybe as much as they wanted us to feel, um, at least from him. Mm-hmm. Gal Gadot, her... Like she is a fantastic actress. Like there are multiple moments where she was screaming or she was like letting out raw emotion. Mm-hmm. It was incredible. Like it was, it was believable. Chris Pine, I guess did not have as many of those moments mm-hmm. where it felt that believable. Mm-hmm. I would say is for, for me personally, their performances were right on the edge of making me feel something for them. They didn't yeah. quite get there. Mm-hmm. I think she's pretty good. Okay. And I think he's pretty good. He stuttered through a lot of his lines. Uh, mm. That's kind of the character he created for himself. Um, and there's a lot of, uh, it's almost Woody Allen-esque at times where he's like, da, 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 da. Right. and it's just like, ah, okay, well, are you sure that's what you want to do for your character? But uh, I think he has a lot of charisma and he's, mm-hmm. he's a good actor as well. And uh, yeah, I, I thought they, as far as chemistry, the love story was not the biggest aspect of it. Thank True. God. <laughs> yeah. And that, and that thing. Yeah. I the, mean, <laughs> if please correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. but one of the main things about wonder woman is her independent strength. Yes. And no. Okay. I say Tell that me because more about that, I don't Steve know. Trevor has been her love interest oh. since the beginning. Well, like okay. way back to the point where in the fifties and sixties, when romance comics were really popular, like, it got bad. It got super schmaltzy. Um, and here she is, this amazing Amazon woman, just being like, I wish Steve would propose. And you're like, what? Mm-hmm. So it it went down those paths. So no, Steve, Steve Trevor has been a character since the beginning and has been a love interest from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some of the newer 52, well, not newer 52, but in the new 52 storyline, Superman and Wonder Woman have a relationship. And that is something that they have played on a few different times in the comics. Uh, in my opinion, I have three favorite artists for Wonder Woman. George Perez, who, again, is <laughs> incredible, and it, it is one of the most recognizable. Uh, Alex Ross, who did the cover of this book that I showed Steve earlier, which is the DC Comics Cover Girls by Louis Simonson and Ford by Adam Hughes. Alex Ross's style is unlike anything else. I mean, he paints everything Mm -hmm. basing off of real world people superman is kind of pudgy kind of back in like the george reeves days Mm -hmm. or adam west batman days we're like yeah he's a superhero and has godlike powers but he is also like a person so kind of chubby a little bit his wonder woman is fiercely powerful Mm. um in in everything kingdom come is one of my favorite stories in all of comics Mm -hmm. it is a four-part series Wonder Woman plays a huge part in it. And Alex Ross did all the art. Um, and then Frank Cho is my other favorite artist. All three of them draw Wonder Woman as this incredibly powerful figure, even if she isn't a love story. Even if, you know, some of the New 52 stuff, you know, where she's all kissy with Superman, they did not really do that. <laughs> George Perez, Alex Ross, and Frank Cho did not really do that. But it just... Yeah, so their art, if you're looking for amazing Wonder Woman art from the major artists, those those three are my 
are my top ones. Yeah. What scenes in this movie stand out to you? Both big action set pieces and then the more quiet moments. Uh, what, what, what do you remember the most thinking back? The scene in, the, in one of the first trailers that hit me right in the stomach and it hit me right in the heart, which is in my stomach. It is kind of weird biological condition. Um, the alleyway scene, which is completely reminiscent of Superman 77 when Clark Kent and Lois Lane are going through the alleyway. They get mugged. Mm. That moment is one of my favorite moments in film. Like that three minute scene is honestly in my top five or top 10 favorite moments in film from wonder woman no no in superman Uh, 77 oh oh, okay (laughs) uh because you see christopher reeves as you know clark kent superman like bumbling while getting mugged right and he feigns getting shot but he passes out they replicate that in this interesting and wonder woman is the one saving chris pine yeah as soon as i saw that in the trailer it gave me that that emotional high and then in the movie it pays off Mm -hmm. it makes sense because you see you see this relationship where Chris Pine more than once is like, you can't do that. And she was like, why? She's like, yeah, I can do this. Mm-hmm. Or at one point uh, he was like, I won't let you. And she's like, what I do is not up to you. Mm-hmm. And then she bounces. So in that scene where it, gets, it shows her independence, it shows her strength as a fighter, shows her strength as a woman, shows her independence. Mm-hmm. So in that alleyway scene, it was absolutely reminiscent of the Superman scene from 77. Mm-hmm. So that would be one of like the, feel good moments action set pieces it has to be the the beach fight scene uh, mm-hmm. on paradise island because mm-hmm. again the third act i had a lot of problems with it mm-hmm. i like the image of her striding into the gala yeah mm-hmm. i don't know why she would be let in but uh Neither do I. I mean, if or anyone she... looked behind her or she had how she has a sword in her that's what i'm talking about uh, like yeah. i mean it was a i mean she has amazing shoulder blades but so it's like i mean and, it was a beautiful image in that yeah. dress and you know but uh i almost wish that she had let her hair down and it had mm-hmm. been hidden mm-hmm. but they gotta have that tension of is she isn't she going to do the of deed? course and we have yeah. not talked about the villain of the piece uh danny houston who if you're going to have a villain <laughs> pick danny houston just the way he delivers lines, he has this really low voice and method of talking where just it is compelling and creepy. The accents in this movie are all over the map. Literally. That's one of your things. All over the map. Um, it's fine. <laughs> it was it was it, it was tough sometimes. Well, but they're trying to get into the German castle and they're speaking English with a German accent to mm, these Germans. Why? Yeah. <laughs> because Hollywood says at all costs we cannot have subtitles. Subtitles, although there were a couple subtitles, but anyway, okay. That was another one of my favorite scenes. Yeah, when Chris Pine, they're getting he's kind of introducing Wonder Woman to people, and she was like, "I speak over," or he says that Samir or Sammy, like he can talk the talk the talk and blah blah and in over a hundred languages, and then they had this kind of like battle within languages, saying different lines. That was awesome. Yeah. I really, really liked that. Was that uh, one of her original abilities? Yes and no. Oh, I mean, I added it on as... I say that because she is a genius level intellect. So it, it kind of stands to reason that she would know a bunch of languages. Ah. And part of her training and part of her study in Themyscira was that. Ah. Okay. Uh, in some of her iterations, she became like... She became a secretary for the Ministry of Defense and other things. So she is incredibly intelligent. Mm-hmm. And she... Gal Gadot played that 
very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she is stunning. Yeah. And, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, I was initially, like, when, when she first got cast, I was also of the mindset <clears throat> that she was maybe a little too skinny. Because, again, those three artists that I mentioned, George Perez, Alex Ross, and Frank Cho, mm-hmm. draw Wonder Woman strong. Yeah. Uh, Frank Cho especially draws her with the thickness. Mm-hmm. Check, please. Um, <laughs> so when I first saw Gal Gadot, I was like, I was like, ah, is this, this going to work? She, she is Wonder Woman. Yeah. The costumes in this movie, Tremendous. not just hers, but Tremendous. everybody's costume, so good. Yeah. I would I would not be surprised if this uh no this will Don't not get nominated. <laughs> this will not get nominated knows, for costumes. Yeah. yeah. Um but yeah, uh what about the score? The score to me was kind of uh score is un- a little bit of a letdown. Yeah, it was just kind of uh unremarkable. <clears throat> I am glad that they did not and I joked with Steve right before the movie started. I was like, how many minutes into it before we hear the da 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 like the cello, electric cello, Wonder Woman theme that she oh. had in Batman vs. Superman. Uh, I am glad, very glad, that they did not use that until the end. Uh-huh. Which is kind of nice. It was kind of a a, uh, a journey through that because there were moments of it. There were moments in the score where it was kind of snipped in there, but you only get hit with it right at the end. Yeah. So, What were some of your other gripes? Uh, did you have a couple others? Because I have one if you don't. Uh, let me see. Dark Fiery Circle. CGI Wait, what is Dark Fiery Circle? The third act. The final oh, scene. Right, gotcha. And just a dark, like, shooting it at night in a fire circle. Like, just why? Mm-hmm. I just don't get it. Uh, CGI was terrible. Accents were all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, not all of the characters felt... You don't really feel for maybe all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Etta Candy, uh, mm-hmm. Steve Trevor's secretary. She's good. She was really good. In total, we got, like, ten minutes of her. Well. So, yeah. but that was that was okay. But it was, she she was good, and I, I might have liked to see more of her. But yeah, what yeah. what was your great? Some of the moments between Wonder Woman and Chris Pine, mm-hmm. Steve, Steve Trevor. Trevor. Thank you. Uh, I felt like they went on a little bit long, mm-hmm. and they were awkward, and mm-hmm. some of them were meant to be awkward, but they weren't funny to me. They were a little predictable, and yeah. they. You know, the whole above average thing. Yeah. It's just like that didn't belong in this one. And little girls are going to see it. And it's like, I don't know. I was surprised with that. Like, so this movie, what is it? Is it PG or PG-13? PG-13. Okay. There was some intense war imagery in this. For sure. Yeah. I was. I was some that blew me away. Oh, my God. Yeah. I was. I was really surprised. PG-13 these days, studios really try and push that. And you get one F-bomb. Technically, in a PG-13 movie, you get uh, a couple other swear words. This did not use any of that. Yeah, I think they put the violence. They put all yeah. of that into the violence. Yeah. I mean, as far as, like, amputations, like, it was it, it was tough. I For a minute there, I really had to be like, wait, what movie are we watching? Like, it was surprising. Yeah. I was really surprised. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that would be my thing is uh, they were just a little bit poorly paced and clunky. The, yeah. And that for me, took away from the chemistry between them a bit. That makes sense. Cool. Uh, and gravity didn't always make sense. Nope. That's, again, one of my things. Chuck it up. Ding. Yeah. Gravity, which is when you have a superhero that jumps, mm-hmm. they have to land at a certain speed. They have to take off right. and land. And everybody intuitively knows what that looks like mm-hmm. when you shoot a rocket or a cannonball, how it, you know. Uh, and when it doesn't happen correctly it doesn't look 
believable yeah, and, and it takes me out of it a little bit. And that is something where only uh da, 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 she only got the ability to fly in kind of the post crisis. And I say post crisis post crisis on Infinite Earth, which is a story arc I can let you borrow it. She had the ridiculous invisible jet for a while in the comics. In this one, it still is very unclear. Is she jumping or is she going to learn how to fly? And if she does know how to fly, why was she not flying in Batman vs. Superman, which takes place oh, almost right. 100 years later? Yeah. Uh, there, there were definitely some moments with that where she, the way she moved was not quite right. She jumps high. Yeah. yeah. Or in Samurai Jack, one of my favorite episodes, Jump Good. Um, cricket. Oh, come cricket. on. Sheesh. Cricket. Uh, so yeah, it, those moments were interesting. Okay. So we'll see. I personally, I kind of, I hope she does not get the ability to fly. I think if Superman can fly and she can fly and Cyborg can fly, it is, it is going to make things a little bit interesting. And I think people are going to have a hard time with it in the movies and the comics. Who cares? In anybody can fly in the comics. <laughs> Batman? Oh, uh, he his... can technically, I mean, he has different power suits that he uses. Okay. Um, one of the uh, quotes from <laughs> Sensation Comics number 18, as far as like that they touched on in the in the film, was beautiful as Aphrodite, wise as Athena, stronger than Hercules, and swifter than Mercury. Wonder Woman comes from Paradise Island where Amazons rule supreme. I liked that they kind of touched on a little bit of that uh, as far as the gods, and they really focused on Ares for obvious reasons. Um I was kind of hoping for a little bit more. It might just be that I, I love Greek mythology so much that I was hoping they could kind of put some of that in there. She talked about, um, you know, her her shield, and she talked about her gauntlets and the lasso. So there were those moments, um, and I, I liked them. The sword is... Oh, I, we can't talk about the sword, I guess. Uh, well, the sword is in the trailer. It is called the God wow. Killer. Yeah. Um, that is not the sword that she has in the comics. I see. Uh, the God Killer Sword is in the comics. Okay. Uh, Deathstroke actually has it, I think, currently. Um, it gets kind of weird, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Okay, I I think that about wraps it up. That wraps it up for me too. Um, her sword, though. One one interesting thing, going back to Kingdom Come, uh, there's a a panel in the comics where Superman is handling her sword, and he runs his thumb along it, and it cuts him. Whoa. Because it is said, so her sword was uh, forged by Hephaestus and all these things, um, that the sword is sharp enough to scrape the electrons off of an atom. Mm, there you go. So, like, this is the sharpest instrument <laughs> of course. In, in the world. Wow. So, huh. yeah. Uh, I, think, I think that is good. To our official rating for Wonder Woman 2017. And I know you don't like box office numbers, but I'm going to go over those real quick. Wait. I am... Run the rating music. Music. Oh, right. Yeah, there it is. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I am very, very glad that this movie is doing well at the box office. It just take that, haters. Like, just it's well, it, it's doing well on its own merit. Yeah. It's not doing well because it's the first female-led superhero movie in a long time. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not doing well because uh, there's a big campaign of like, we really got to go and support this. It's doing well because it's a good movie. Sorry. Well, what? Not rating yet. But yeah, so far, to, so far, I mean, as of recording, worldwide, it has made over $223 million, budget of 149 
this is, I mean, this is just opening weekend. This movie is going to continue to make, this is going to be in theaters for a while. Even though we're coming up on summer season, this is going to stay there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, to our official rating. You're already spoiled, you big jerk. Dude. What is your official rating? Good. Mm-hmm. I mean, what more can I say? I, uh, as always, with a good rating, mm-hmm. there's some gripes. Of course. And the biggest gripe for me was it wasn't very funny or moving character-wise. I mean, I like her as a character, but mm-hmm. the the chemistry or the moments that we were supposed to really uh, get a good chuckle from, a lot of them for me fell flat. Yeah, uh, fair enough. Yeah. Other than that, uh, I don't really have a ton of gripes besides gravity. Yeah. Uh, my official rating, um, I tried to go in this with low expectations or no expectations because of track record and because of all of that. That being said, I was very, very nervous for this movie. Uh, I am very happy to report for the first time Whoa. in a long time, a DC live action movie is getting a good. <laughs> DC is back, baby. Uh, I hope so. Yeah. And like this movie... Was just, it was just really well done. Again, I had some big, big problems with the CGI, the third act fight sequence. Mm-hmm. Justice League comes out in November. Yeah, I, I'm very, very interested to see what type of style they go with for that. But because these all are supposed to tie together and one big happy family. Mm-hmm. But Wonder Woman, it was just it was solid. It, it was it was good. What would you like to see from Wonder Woman two in a perfect world? Would you like to see her go up against a particular villain or see them explore a particular classic comic storyline that's a favorite of yours from the Yeesh. Wonder Woman universe? That, it is tough. Wonder Woman is one of those characters that even though she has been around for a long time, her roster is not super strong. As uh, far as villains go? Yeah, she has not like the rogues gallery of Batman or Flash even that has Gorilla Grodd and Brainiac and all these things. Wonder Woman, I mean, she had Dr. Poison, uh, Cheetah was a, a villain of hers. Those are tough to pull off um, in film. So as far as storyline, there's not really one particular storyline that I would like to see them do um, because they have done some cool stuff in recent years. But I think you have a lot of open availability and creativity to do with Wonder Woman as opposed to someone expecting, oh, and Batman, he used to fight the Joker and Superman, he used to fight Lex Luthor. Wonder Woman, you were like, fight anybody. Like pick a DC character mm-hmm. and throw them in there. Okay. So they have they have some open doors for that. Does this make you optimistic for Justice League? No. What? Oh, um, because it's <laughs> such a long because it's like a two year cycle or a two year development process on each movie. Yeah. You think choices have already been yep. made? Yep. Uh, uh, I think Zack Snyder and, and it comes out in November. Yeah, and I think Zack, can... Zack Snyder leaving Justice League for completely completely valid reasons. Yeah. Uh, um, and Joss sympathies, obviously. Yeah, then, yeah, and Joss Whedon stepping up, uh, who had already been kind of working on it. Yeah, I have faith in Joss Whedon. Me too. No, what? Yeah. Um. So, wait, is it Joss Whedon? Am, yeah, Joss Whedon yeah, is okay. stepping in for I, I Justice was, League. I had a brain fart. I was thinking yeah. of J.J. Abrams for a second. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, but it doesn't make you optimistic. The success I, of this one. No, because from what I have seen so far in the trailers of Justice League, it is dark. It has all of the things that I do not like about the other movies. Interesting. So far. Okay. So they we, might make some course corrections. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. Okay. So I, I, I just, I hope so. Um, okay. It, yeah, we, we will see. Um, Aqu- Aquaman has a chance though. I, I hope Aquaman 
looks. I hope Aquaman is good because it just it, Jason Momoa is a superhero. They finally are starting to realize with Jason Momoa, with Tom Holland, cast people who can actually do the things, even if with, for insurance reasons, they're not going to let them do all of the things. Mm-hmm. Same with Tom Cruise. There's a reason he likes to do action movies because he is good at action. He is one of the greatest action stars of our generation, <laughs> mm-hmm. if not the greatest action star currently working. Mm-hmm. So Jason Momoa is a superhero. Mm-hmm. So that... I'm more excited for Aquaman than Justice League because, uh, yeah. It feels like Aquaman could go dark, though. They are probably yeah. worried about making Aquaman mm, dorky. You know, the general yeah. feeling about Aquaman, if you just asked a person on the street, is like, oh, that's the dumbest superhero they Those people made. are fools. Aquaman is one of the most powerful creatures on the planet. Regardless, <laughs> <laughs> they have that perception that they're working against, and so they're pri- probably trying to make him... A badass and yeah. probably trying to make him dark but and you look at him he is a badass so yeah cool uh all right so that about wraps it up for this episode what's on... up next for about to review so on next week's episode so it is getting to summer movie season <laughs> big time so many movies oh my gosh like with sif still going on for a couple weeks with summer movie season kicking off it is crazy. So we will talk about a couple more SIF movies on the next episode. Great. Um, as well as two major releases. One that I am very excited for, uh, which is It Comes at Night from A24. I've talked about them before. The Lobster. Oh, Midnight. Ex Machina. Moonlight. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah Moonlight. Moonlight. Like I think a- I made that mistake before. <laughs> probably. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> A24 is one of my favorite studios. Green Room. Like, yeah. So It Comes at Night is the new thriller that they're coming out with. So we see that. Uh, and then on uh, Tuesday, which the is already mummy. The Mummy. I'm looking forward to it. So am I. Yeah. Uh, you know I didn't th- know you were a Tom Cruise fan. Oh, my God. Tom Cruise is the greatest action hero. Okay. Uh, and I love classic monster movies, as you and I have talked about before. <laughs> they won the battle. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Sif movies, two big premiere movies. Uh, will be on next week's episode. Uh, for this episode, my co-host, this guy named Steve, where can people find you? They can find me on Twitter at SteveBlog, on Instagram at StandInside, and you can go to my website and see all the fantastic videos from around the world mm-hmm. at StandInsideMedia.com. Fantastic. And for this podcast, I talked about it at the front of the episode. But you can find the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at about to review. You can stream it on iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, Podbay, Podbean, on my website, abouttoreview.com. Podbean, that's not a real one, it? Is totally it? is. Wow. What is crazy is I had no idea how many podcast platforms I was on until ah. somebody pulled it up on Android. Ah. And I was like, oh, wow, I guess I am hosted there. <laughs> so it is on just about every podcatcher. Uh, out there if you got an ssl pretty much on there yeah yeah pretty much so uh that is everything for rss is what rss don't don't write me emails people (laughs) uh but if you do have any suggestions for upcoming movies or thoughts on these movies you can email those to the show at about to review at gmail.com and i would say if you don't live in seattle go find a local film festival you gotta have something like that I don't know if it's the summer or at the mm-hmm. end of the summer, but go go take a chance on some movies that yeah. uh, you normally wouldn't see. Absolutely. And this with some of these we've talked about before, 
this might be your only chance to see them. <laughs> With film festivals like this, they might do that festival circuit and then direct to video. Yeah. So go support the arts. Get out there. Go find a film festival in your town. And, and you can say you saw it before it was a big thing. For sure. Uh, so for this episode, I have been your host, that guy named John. And this is this guy named Steve. And we will see you next time. This has been an About to Review production. Thank you to Vexing Media, who provides audio editing services. They are a graphic design, website design, and digital media company. You can find them at their website, vexingmedia.com, or on Facebook and Twitter, at Vexing Media.